KSTL 690, East St. Louis, St. Louis. This is Pocket Watching with JT, the call-in financial talk show focused on helping you get your money right. Jason Thornton is a certified financial planner licensed in both tax and investments. Now, this is not personal financial advice. This is JT's real reaction to all your money and business questions. Are you deep in debt, living paycheck to paycheck, and looking for a way out? Call Pocket Watching with JT, the financial advisor for the people. Need more? Book your personal consultation with my man JT at pocketwatcher.net. Now, let's go pocket watching. Hey, St. Louis, welcome to Money Mondays with Pocket Watching with JT. I am so excited. This is week number two here live broadcasting from KSTL Jubilee 690 AM and also live streaming on YouTube. So listen, people, I am super excited. I am here to answer your money questions to help you reach your financial goals. So give me a call at 314-969-6900. That's 314-969-6900. But as always, I've had some people who are a little eager. They already went online. They went to my website, which is www.pocketwatcher.net. And they already submitted a few questions online. All you have to do is go to that website, pocketwatcher.net, click the Ask JT button, and I will get your question. So let me answer a question from Kojo. Kojo writes and it says, hey, JT, I'm 23 years old. I just graduated with $66,000 in student loan debt. That's his only debt, says his only debt. I landed a data analyst role three months ago making $85,000 a year. I have $11,000 in savings so far. I live with my parents and my fixed expenses are $650 a month. Now, and that's including making only the minimum payment on his student loans. This is the question. Should I keep making the minimum payments and prioritize saving for a multifamily unit that he would buy and he would live in one side and rent out the other side? Or do you recommend I go all in on the debt before moving out and house hacking? Well, man, great question, Kojo. Listen, I am a big believer in getting rid of debt as soon as possible. Okay, as soon as possible. That's what you want to do. So you're you're in a very good situation where you just graduated. You have a, a job earning $85,000 a year. You have $66,000 in student loan debt, but you're currently living with your parents and your only expenses are $650 a month because you have very loving parents. So this is what I would suggest for you to do. Listen, you need to prioritize getting rid of this debt as soon as possible. You're making $85,000 a year. Your student loan debt is only $66,000 compared to the $85,000 a year that you're making. So my suggestion to you is to be on a mission for the next 18 to 36 months. Listen, be on a mission to get rid of this student loan debt as soon as possible. You can get this done. Honestly, if you were a zealot, 
and you really, really wanted to attack this debt, you could probably get this debt uh, down to zero within about 18 months. But if you want a little bit more wiggle room, I understand. If you want a little bit more wiggle room, you could probably get it done within 24 to 36 months. Then after you are completely out of debt, out of this student loan debt, you can move forward to saving up for the down payment on a multi-unit uh uh, residence where you would obviously you would live in one side and you would rent out the other units. So that would be the priority. Get out of debt first. Do that first, Kojo. Then, then you would move into the next area, which is deciding, say, hey, I'm going to move out of my parents' home. I'm going to buy not a single family residence, but a multi-unit and I'm going to house hack. So that would be my recommendation based on your situation. Okay. All right, let me move on to the next question. I got a question from Michael. Okay, let's see, Michael. Michael is getting close to retirement. Michael's getting close to retirement, and he wants to know how does Social Security work as far as how much he can earn, how much he can't earn when it comes to Social Security? I had a very similar question uh, actually last week. So let me make sure that we're extremely clear on how it works. You know, how much money can you earn and still get Social Security benefits? Now, listen, this is what's very important. The way you earn the money dictates how much Social Security you can earn while still getting money outside of Social Security. Now, in a general sense, passive income, meaning money that you get from another pension, money that you get from your 401k, even money that you would get from a passive form of rental income, that does not affect how much you can earn in Social Security, meaning you can make as you know as much as you can in those passive forms of income, and it does not reduce your Social Security benefits. Now, here's the curveball and the thing that most people don't think about: earning money in the traditional way, either through a W two income or being self employed while earning Social Security, that will uh, play a part in how much you can still collect in social security. So here's the general numbers. If you are before the full retirement age, meaning you're taking social security before you have reached the full retirement age, you are at about $19,500 that you can earn in W2 income or self-employed income before your social security benefits start to be reduced. Okay. It's around 19,560, I believe. Now, this is how they do it. All right. So let's pay attention here. For every dollar that you earn above, right? So every dollar that you earn above the limit. So in 2022, we're looking at $19,560. Okay they will deduct 50 cents, okay? So let's say you have a social security benefits of you know $2,000 coming per month, right? But you're earning more than $19,560 outside of the social security from a W-2 job or self-employment. For every dollar that you make over that amount, they will deduct 50 cents from your total social security for the year, not per month, but your total social security 
for the year. So my suggestion is you need to contact a certified financial planner in your area so that they can work with you to create the best retirement plan as possible so that you can maximize the amount of money that you're going to make at a W-2 job after you already applied for and you're receiving Social Security and you're not really working backwards with it. Okay, so that's how much you can do if you are before the retirement age. Before the retirement age is 19560 and they will deduct 50 cents for every dollar that you make more than that. Okay. Now, if you are more patient and if you have more wiggle room and you wait until you reach the full retirement age, you are bumped up significantly. Okay. You can make up to $50,000, right? Really around 52,000 is 51,960. You can make that much in W-2 income or or self-employed income before any social security benefits are reduced, okay? So this is if you reach full retirement age before you start to take your social security benefits. And the way that this works, this works a little different. So for every $3 that you make over the $52,000 mark, your social security benefits will be reduced by $1, okay? That's if you go to the full retirement age. And that's W-2 income, self-employed income. If you have passive sources of income, a pension from somewhere else, retirement income from a 401k from your job or something like that, even rental income is still considered passive income. So if you have a multi-unit or if you have a single family house or something like that, that's a part of your overall investment plan and you're getting that passive rental income, that will not Okay, that will not be there. So the uh, the full retirement age, your full retirement age is going to be based on when you were born, but it's normally going to be around 67 years old for most people who are getting towards retirement It's probably uh, probably at the mark of 67. But you're going to get a statement once a year from the Social Security Administration. My suggestion is when you get that letter, open that letter up. Pay attention to what's going on because it's going to give you certain projections of what your Social Security benefits are going to be. It's going to let you know what your uh, full retirement age is going to be, because when you put off, right, you can technically start to receive Social Security at 62. But if you wait for the full retirement age every year, you wait past 62, your benefits increase by 8 percent each year. So if you can wait. My suggestion uh, for you is to wait. Just make sure you work with a certified financial planner in your area. They can do retirement planning for you and they can run different scenarios for you to figure out what's the best position for you. Okay. All right. So I'm going to go right back to the questions that were submitted online at pocketwatcher.net. But please feel free, give the radio station a call, 314-969-6900. That's 314-969-6900. All right, this next question is coming from Hassan. Hassan is asking, what is the proper way to start a real estate business 
with $50,000 cashier's check from uh, the first trial real estate deal. Okay. Oh, okay. Let's, so so this is a person who's already done a real estate deal. Looks like they received $50,000. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming net income from this real estate deal that they did before. Okay. Listen, what you should do if you're starting a real estate business, the very first thing you're going to want to do is you're going to want to separate your personal finances from the business finances, right? I understand a lot of people when you're stepping into the world of being an entrepreneur, you're stepping into the world of being a business owner, the numbers can somewhat be overwhelming. But the best thing that you can do for yourself as a foundational step of being a business owner, you want to separate the money that is in your personal checking account into the money that should be in your new business checking account. Now, in order to open up a new business checking account, and open up any checking account that's not in your legal name that's on your birth certificate, you're going to need to register to do business in a name other than your personal name with the secretary of state of whatever state that you're in. Okay. That is just, you can do just a doing business as a DBA or a fictitious name. Those fees are usually extremely low here in the state of Missouri. The fee is around or less than $10, right? But you can also take the further step in going ahead and registering a business as a LLC. That's a limited liability company. Once again, here in the state of Missouri, it's extremely affordable. You're talking about something around $50. And the reason why I would suggest that, especially when it comes to a real estate business, is that you are in a position where you could get sued. Right. So if you are sued with a DBA, a fictitious name and you lose the lawsuit, well, whoever you lost the lawsuit to, not only can they go after the assets that are in the name of the business, but they can also go after your personal assets because a fictitious name does not give you any type of separate legal liability from the company. This is why I would suggest you probably should go the route of starting up a LLC, a limited liability company. That way, if your uh, real estate business was to be sued by a tenant or who, whoever, the liability stops with the business. So let's say, for example, the business has, you know, a couple thousand dollars in it. Like let's say five or ten, twenty thousand dollars in the business and you lose a million dollar lawsuit. OK, what you would ultimately do, you would liquidate the uh, business account, pay out whatever you can pay out. The business would then file for bankruptcy and then it's over. They will not be able to go after your personal assets because of the limited liability company. So that would be my suggestion to you, Hassan. Uh, but also, as always, please contact an accountant and a certified financial planner in your area. That way you can get the most and clearer uh, information for your particular situation. All right, let's go here. Let's go to the next question. I got a question from Ursula. Ursula is asking, hi, I heard you say to pay down debt by first paying the highest interest debt and then pay the next one that has the biggest tax advantage. Can you please explain uh, explain how that works? And I do not understand the concept. Okay, so let me be clear. There are two 
main ways that you can pay down debt. Two very popular ways when it comes to debt management. There's one way that would be the textbook answer, right? This would be the way that I would answer the question if I had to go back in time and sit for the certified financial planner exam again. I would never do that because that exam is extremely hard and I do not want to have to go through that process again. But if I had to go back in time and take that exam again, the correct answer would be to take a look at all of the debt that you have line them up from the highest amount of interest that you're paying to the lowest amount of interest that you're paying and attack the one with the highest interest first and work your way down. Why is that the mathematically correct answer? It's because if you do it that way, you will save the most amount of money in interest payments. This isn't the most, uh, it's not just because of the taxes, around it, right? It's about saving you the most amount of money because if you do it this way, ultimately, if you put it on the spreadsheet, you will end up paying the least amount of money on the debt that you owe, okay? It's referred to as the avalanche method of paying off your debt. That's one way. The other way is the method that has been made popular through uh, Dave Ramsey and the Dave Ramsey show and the uh, total money makeover. This is lining up your debts from smallest, regardless of the interest rate, from smallest to biggest and paying off the smallest ones as you work your way down to the biggest ones. Now, mathematically, it does not uh, it doesn't put you in a situation where you're paying the least amount of money overall, but psychologically. When you do it this way, you get rewarded because you actually feel like you're accomplishing something. And because you're accomplishing something by being able to pay off completely accounts, just closing accounts down because you're being able to pay them off in full, you get a sense of accomplishment and it keeps you on your plan to get the debt done. Now, personally, I do not care which one you do. I just want you to do one of them and get out of debt. But if you want to be mathematically correct, the way you would do it, the highest interest first, lowest interest last, and that will save you the most amount of money. So thank you for asking that question, Ursula. Hopefully that helps you. So let me move here. There are quite a few questions that you guys submitted. So let me go through. I got Holly. Holly, thank you for uh, submitting your question. From Holly, we have how are landlords treating the back rent? that they were paid through COVID relief funds. For tax purposes, how should these lump sum amounts be reported? All right, great question. So here we go, a little background of what we're talking about here. So obviously through COVID, there were people who were unable to pay their rent. We are aware of this. And then the government received certain funds that landlords and the tenants were able to access to pay the back rent of the tenant. Now, what's going to happen is that you should receive a 1099 statement from whatever government entity that you receive the funds from. So you are going to report, even though it was a lump sum payment, it wasn't, you know, payments month by month by month, how it should have happened. But you received a lump sum payment through a government program, through some sort of grant. I would have to assume, and in my practice, I've seen it, 
you will receive a 1099 from that government entity. You need to turn that 1099 into your accountant to that's going to help you prepare your tax return. And that income from the grant is going to be treated like any other income that you would have received from your tenant. So it's not going to be treated any different. So if you receive back rent payments from a government program, as far as how it's treated on your tax return, it's going to just look like the regular rental income that you received uh, in prior years. So just make sure that you include that 1099 that you're going to receive from that government entity. Just make sure you include that in the tax documents that you turn into your accountant and you should be absolutely fine. Okay. All right. So make sure you guys give me a call here as I go through these questions submitted online. Give us a call at 314-969-6900. That's 314-969-6900. All right. I got a question from AJ. Hopefully I can help AJ out here. AJ is asking, he says, yo, JT, big fan of your content. Keep up the good work. Would you advise buying a house in the current market conditions? And do you ever see prices going back down to 200,000 to 300,000 for a three to four bedroom single family? I live here in the South, could buy my first home in Atlanta or uh, Nashville. Thanks. Listen, man, um, it's, it's, I don't have a crystal ball, but this is what I'm going to uh, tell you based on all the relevant information that I'm receiving. I do not believe on a national scale we're going to see housing prices dramatically drop in the same way that we saw housing prices drop back in 2009, 2010 during the Great Recession. Okay. Most likely, what we're going to see. We're going to see a slowing down of the appreciation of these homes. Over the past few years, we've seen a dramatic, sharp upturn in the appreciation, meaning the housing prices have extreme, have gone up extremely fast. Now, based on certain locations, because when it comes to real estate, it's about location, location, location. It depends on where you are. It depends on the market. Will we see prices drop dramatically in certain markets? Yes, I do believe in certain markets we will see prices drop. But overall, on you know, for the whole United States of America, will we see the prices drop in the same way that they did uh, back in 2009 and 10? I do not believe so. But I would say, in this current housing market, could you find a deal? Yes, I believe that you possibly could find a deal, but you want to make sure you're going through all the right and proper steps when looking for this property. Do not get caught up in the excitement of trying to outbid someone so that you finally win uh, the in this whole housing market thing. Make sure that you're still taking all the proper steps and getting all the inspections that you need to get. I would prefer to wait and make sure you're getting the right house at the right price and you're not overpaying and you're not sacrificing inspections. Do it step by step. I will, I do believe, I've and I've already seen 
prices go down because of the interest rates are going up and there's less people who are willing to buy a home at higher interest rates. But don't expect to hold your breath waiting to see thousands and thousands of dollars of price reductions when it comes to this housing market. I would say just make sure you pay attention and see you know, what's going on. Work with a competent real estate agent and uh, trust me, you're going to be fine. But patience is absolutely a virtue. Do not rush into this thing. OK. All right. Now we're going to go to uh, some callers. So let me bring a caller up and hopefully I can help them out. Hi, how you doing? You are live on the air with Pocket Watching with JT. How can I help you? Hello? Yes, yes. You're live on the air with Pocket yes. Watching with JT. How can I help I, you? How you doing, JT? This is this is Live Better. I'll be hitting you up on YouTube, watching this show all the time. Okay, I have a question for you, right? Mm -hmm. I'm a business owner like you. I'm a barber. I got a couple of Airbnbs. I flip houses. And I always hear you say that, you know, get a job and, you know, if you have a job, then you don't have to do all this other stuff. So I recently moved to Maryland from New York. Mm -hmm. So I have a couple of things going on, like Airbnb in New York. I have an Airbnb down here now, and I cut hair down here. But I just got called for a job in New York to work for sanitation. Mm -hmm. So what should I, should I take the job or should I just keep doing the business stuff I'm doing? <laughs> And, and, I, and I know you always say, like, it's so hard. Like, it is hard being a business owner. Oh, my God. Right. It's it's a lot, you know. But I just don't know what to do. It's like I don't have people around me that even have any knowledge of doing anything else but working. So I don't know what to do, man. Great. Okay, I, this is a great question. I got a couple follow-up questions before I give you my final verdict. But I got okay. a couple of follow-up questions. So, uh, okay. when it comes to all of the hustling that you're doing with these different business ventures, are you currently set up in a situation where you are actually building up towards a retirement? Do you have any money saved up for retirement? Not really. I don't, you know, that's the problem. You know, I don't mm -hmm. really have it. Like, I just, like, I had money saved up, but I moved to Maryland and started all over, and it took all my money gotcha. for the last year. And I'm like down to like, you know, not having a lot of money at all right now. Okay. You know? All right. So that's, that's, that's follow-up question number one. Here's follow-up question number two. Mm -hmm. Do you enjoy it? This is what I mean. Right. I'm the type of person I thrive by mm -hmm. owning my own business, working deals, doing the marketing. I, I would die. I would just <laughs> wither to nothing if you put me into a position of an employee. Now, that does not mean, make that bad. I'm just saying per right. my per my personality, you have to understand right. I was born and bred to be self-employed, right? right? right. Most mm -hmm. people are not, so it doesn't make sense for them. So I'm asking you the question, do you really enjoy all this hustle and bustle and running back and forth and making sure that because you don't get paid, you only eat what you kill. There's no That's meals true. being provided for you, That's right? True. That's true. You're right. Are you, right. do you, because here's the question do you okay. enjoy and love the hunt or would you rather be fed a meal? Mm, you're right. No, I do. That's the thing. Like, I've been an entrepreneur since I'm 19. Mm -hmm. I'm 45 now. Mm -hmm. um, and I do cut hair. And I'm like, you know, I, 
I just moved down here a year ago and already booked my clientele down here. I had a shop in New York. I closed it down to start all over. Right. And it, it, it's been hard, but I know it was going to be hard starting all over, you know. So, you know, you're right, though. Like, I do enjoy being an entrepreneur and, you know, maybe, like, this is what I was going to do. I was going to go try it out. Right. See if I like it, mm-hmm. and if I don't, I'll just keep continue doing the stuff I was going to do. Great, yeah, you know? that was absolutely going to be my suggestion. Because here's the thing: you don't know what you don't know. You've been grinding exactly. and hustling and going out here and scratching and making a way for yourself yeah. since you were 19 years old. You don't yeah. know the other side of the street. I would say <laughs> go ahead because here's the thing. You're going to have opportunities to work overtime or you're going to have opportunities to continue doing different parts of your side hustles, right? You're not exclusive to, okay, because I got this job, this is all I can do in any entrepreneurial uh, ideas and concepts that I come up with, I can't do. Because here's the thing, man. You are 45 years old. That means you're five years away from 50, okay? The second you cross the bridge, the 50, 60 is knocking on the door. And through all, listen, through all the hustling and grinding that you've been doing, and I'm sure you've reached levels of success, but right. you don't have anything saved up for retirement right now. Okay. Right. And also, too, I just put my daughter through four years of school. Like, she oh, wow. broke me for the last four years. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, so that was one another things too that mm-hmm. took away a lot of my savings that I had saved up. You know, right? And what about healthcare? I have healthcare ready. I have healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, I got free health insurance. Luckily, I do have like a million dollar insurance plan, and I have a, an insurance policy where if I do get sick, I can cash out for that million dollars and use it. Right. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm well aware of that type of policy. If you get like a terminal illness. Uh, you right. can go ahead and cash out that that policy to help you through that terminal right. illness. Yeah, I'm I'm very aware of that. So right. so here's the thing, and I think you're already mm-hmm. there. You just want to hear my second opinion on it, but, right? Because I don't have people around me that mm-hmm. you know, you know, in the black community, I don't have people around me that's been through any experiences of having a business. Nor yeah. do I come from a family of people that ever had a business. I'm the first in my family to ever have a business. Right. But here, here's so, the sad, here's the sad truth. Regardless right. of race, creed, or color, most right. small businesses do not survive going to a second generation. Mm. Mo- even, even the best of, of small businesses. So that's true. They do, right. they, they do not survive past the business owner. Okay. No, that's true. And I know you're that's building true. something. There's certain things obviously you can still do. If you got certain rental property and stuff like that, you could still do rental property and work this job. But man, no, I'm telling true. you, you're putting a lot of pressure on yourself. If you don't love the hunt, I love the hunt. Right. I love no, the I hunt. Do. I, I, I do. just I just I can't I can't do anything else. But I'm also putting in place all the other things that I would have if I did work a W-2 job. I am building towards my retirement. So I would right. suggest, bro, go ahead, accept the position, try it mm-hmm. out. And if mm-hmm. you don't like it, you can always go back to the jungle full time. But that's, that's the thing yeah. too. Like the, the things I have going, like the Airbnb, those kind of run on itself. Like Absolutely. I just run those for my phone. Yeah. Um, and I that's another thing too. Like I do have a property I just bought down here in Maryland a year ago. So... And the places in New York 
but you, it's, it's kind of, you know? Yeah. I, so I, so go I go with your gut. I already know you know what you need to do. Go with your gut. Right. Go ahead right. and get this job. See what it's right. like. Still have, you know, the opportunity to do your side hustle. But listen, build up that right. emergency savings fund. Opt into right. whatever retirement plan that they're offering you, if it's going to be a pension, because I know it's a gut. Go ahead and do it, because I'm telling you, that is going to set you up in a way because you've been hustling since you're 19. You don't want right. to have to be hustling when you're 67 years old. I know. On your you're feet right. all day long. Okay? That's true. Yeah. All right. You're right. Thank you so much, JT. I appreciate it. You're right, though. Thank you. Absolutely. Anytime, bro. Thank you. All right, people. Give me a call. Hopefully, I can help you up. Phone number is 314 314- Nine six nine six nine zero zero three one four nine six nine six nine zero zero. I'm gonna make my way back to the questions that were already submitted online. Here, I have a question from Andre. Here's Andre. He says, "Hey JT, love your show. Need help making sense out of financial aid offer letter." What is the difference between a subsidized and unsubsidized loan? Great question. So here we go. A subsidized loan, difference between a subsidized loan and unsubsidized loan. One loan is going to be accruing interest the second you get the loan. The other loan is only going to start to accrue interest when you actually finish school, when you graduate. Okay, so you want to make sure that you are talking to and working with the financial aid office, understand what the, you know, the differences are going to be. But you would prefer the loan that does not start to accrue interest until after you graduate. All right. Let me get back to these phone lines. So let me go uh, to the caller. Hey, caller, how you doing this? You are live on the air with pocket watching with JT. How can I help you? Hey, how you doing, JT? I'm doing good, man. How can I help? Um, yeah, I just had a couple of things that's probably somebody attention. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm in a little dilemma, a little bit older, I'm 35, so trying to restart basically my whole life again, mm-hmm. going outside the mistakes that I made. So I have a small accounting role background. I have a, I got my certificate like back in like what, 2008, 2009 in mm-hmm. investment operations. Mm-hmm. So that kind of gave me my foot door into like the small accounting roles, like accounts payable, you know, et cetera. But right. I'm trying to definitely, you know, step my game up, upgrade and, you know, try to get into higher positions and, or even, or, uh, you know, start my own business in some type of field. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I've done lately is that, um, Decided to go back to school mm-hmm. um, for business administration, but it's accounting concentrated. Good. And I just wanted to know your your thoughts as to would that be a good look for me in terms of uh, um, get myself together, um, or, or and like what is what are like some of the options I could probably do with that, okay. or with like you know the experience because I've been in I've been working since. Uh, uh, in this field since like 2009. So, um, basically my question is like, with my experience do, can I do anything 
you what? know, in terms of like upgrade or should do, is this something where I do have to go back to school? Yeah, that, that's exactly what I was about to ask, because I'm not exactly sure, depending on where you're trying to go, do you actually need to go back to school and get an associate's degree or get a bachelor's degree? It's going to come down to what are you trying to do within the field? Because there are certain certifications that you can get that are extremely low cost and will allow you to be an asset to a business owner as an employee, or it would be an asset to you as being a business owner. So what my question to you is, or what you need to get an understanding of, what is the plan? What's the goal? Where are you trying to go with this? Because if it's simply making yourself a more valuable employee and also potentially taking that skill set and then becoming a business owner, even within accounting and business support roles, you do not need to have a college degree technically. Now, if you're trying to be a certified financial planner, a, a certified public accountant, yes, obviously a bachelor's degree in the field is required. Right. But if you are in the business support role, right, if you were someone who got all the certifications offered through big software companies like QuickBooks, which is owned by Intuit. Right. So if you become a QuickBooks pro and you have that skill set, you all you immediately become an asset to any small business owner because you would be able to help them with their bookkeeping. And then if you wanted to turn around and become a bookkeeper slash tax professional preparing tax returns, you can do that and make yourself money. Both of those roles do not require a college degree, especially if you do not have the money to pay for that college degree and you're simply going into debt. Um, okay, that makes a lot of sense. Because that, that's exactly where, you know, I was at in terms of like the fork in the road. Mm -hmm. So my plan was to eventually, you know, go for my CPA. Okay. Um, but I didn't have the knowledge of, um, like you just broke down in terms of being an asset to like a company, even without the certification. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I know, I know a lot of people. Yeah. I know a lot of people without a quote unquote, uh, bachelor's degree, or maybe they have a bachelor's degree, but it's not in accounting. Is not in any type of business role, but they, you know, they made a career shift into the world of accounting and they've got the certifications from QuickBooks and all these different accounting software things. And they're also able to, you know, prepare tax returns. So if it's not your dream to become a certified financial uh, planner or a certified uh, public accountant, you don't need that degree then. OK, because you can still prepare tax returns and do bookkeeping without that degree, okay? I'm, okay? I'm not suggesting you immediately jump into debt if you don't know for sure that's what you want to do, okay? Got you. JT, thank you so much for your help, and you are definitely a blessing to the people. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you for calling in. Let's roll to the next caller. Caller, you are live on the air with Pocket Watching with JT. How can I help you? I, 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 I hear you back there. Yes, you're live on the air with Pocket Watching with JT. How can I help you? Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Oh, oh my God, I'm so excited. I just, make, just make sure you speak directly into the phone, but I absolutely hear you. Yeah, you, you, you want to turn the radio down and speak directly into the phone, and that'll help you. Okay, can you hear me? Yes, yes. Okay. I'm so excited to talk to you. I've been following you since day one. Um, so I'm so excited. Okay. Thank you so much. 
Okay, so here is my dilemma. I have, um, I just recently got married in December. Congratulations. Thank you. I moved out of my house that I had bought in 2008, and Mm -hmm. then my husband and I have a house together, but I I have a first-time homebuyer's FHA loan on the house. Mm -hmm. Um, I got it for $130. It's probably... Eight, eight, maybe 80 left on the actual loan. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have some renters in there now. Their lease is up next year. And I was wondering, um, since I live here in Nashville, my house is appraising for about 400 thousand. Should I sell my house or should I do a refinance? Because currently my rate is um, 5.9. I've never refinanced since I bought the house in 2008. Mm-hmm. So I was just wondering, um, should I just sell it and kind of pay off my student loans or should I just keep it? Mm. And Great. Okay. It Great question. Okay. So you, you recently got married. So that was your primary home. I have to assume that was your primary home within two of the last five years. Correct. Right. All right. Now, listen, this is what you get to do because that was your primary home. Two of the last five years you can make up to $250,000 single, but since you're married, uh, I would contact an accountant in your area just to make sure. But since you're married and that was your home two out of the last five years, you possibly can make up to a half a million dollars from the sale of this home and it not be taxable. But you're probably going to be more around the $250,000 range of netting income from the sale of this home. It's not going to be taxable. Because you are still in debt, that student loan to me, that means you are in debt, okay? You'll be able to get out of debt from that rental property that used to be your uh, main home. And hopefully, the sale of this home can also get you out of student loan debt. I mean, it it should, shouldn't it? Sell it, yes. Yeah, yeah. If you said so, my suggestion, based on the you know the limited information that I have, I think it would probably be best for you and your marriage if you sell the home, you'll be able to get up to two hundred fifty thousand dollars or more of tax free money from the sale of that home. You're out of debt from that home, and you can be out of debt from the student loan area, and maybe still have some money left over to move forward in your marriage. That would be my suggestion. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. All right. So hopefully Thank that you. helped. Thank you very much. Let me move on to the next caller here. Thank you so much for giving me a call on Money Mondays, Pocket Watching with JT. You are live on the air. How can I help you? Um. Yes, that's you. Just make sure you're listening okay. to the phone. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. When you're at home, when you when you call up and you're, you're at home, just always be ready. Just know when you call up, call in your own hold, it's probably gonna be you on that next queue coming up. But yes, listen, you are live on the air. How can I help? Okay. Okay. So here's my question. So, mm-hmm. um, I have a small business, mm-hmm. and I'm going to sell it because I'm ready for retirement. Okay. And so I've been engaging um, with buyers, but what I don't know is like, what is a standard, like based on what I make annually, what's like a standard to, I don't want to just get one year's worth of money. Is it like a two year, three year, what I typically would make? Oh, okay. Listen, listen, this is what you want to do. 
Now, I'm going to give you a little bit of advice, but ultimately what I'm going to suggest that you need to do, you need to contact a business broker. Hopefully a, bus broker. Yeah, a business broker within your industry. People hit me up all the time. They're all okay. in my inbox. These are business brokers for accountants, business brokers for financial advisors. So you need to find a business broker in general, but hopefully find a business broker in your specific industry. That's what's going to help okay. you. Okay. Now, what they're ultimately going to do based on your industry, they're going to give you a multiple, right? So this is how they're, they're going to help you do a evaluation of your business. And then also okay. based on your industry, they give a multiple. So let's say, for uh, for example, you make $100,000 a year in this business. If that business okay. broker is telling you, like, hey, listen, based on your industry, you should get a multiple of five. This business is worth five hundred thousand dollars. Right. And then there's also the ways the, the ways that you can also sell this business. This can be a straight cash. That would be great if they could just cash you out. But you might even have to go down the road of an installment sale of your business. Right. And the business broker is going to help you and hold your hand and walk you through this process. Now, they're obviously coming at a fee. They're going to get a percentage of it. But trust mm -hmm. me, you trying to sell the business on your own, you're going to lose more money than what you're ultimately going to pay in a percentage fee of a legitimate business broker. So that's my advice to you. Contact a business broker who deals specifically or at least generally within your business industry. You're going to okay. make out better that way. Okay. Okay. No, that's very helpful because I've been struggling about this. <laughs> yeah. That's so, real helpful. There's okay. many, many ways that you can get it done. Contact a business broker. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for giving me a call. All right, here we go. Next caller, you are live on the air with Pocket Watching with JT. How can I help you? Hello? Yes. Oh, okay. I wanted to make sure it was me. Hello there. Uh, I'm, this is my first time listening to the street, to your, uh, to your show here. I mm -hmm. just wanted to call in and just uh, ask you just a quick question. Sure. I just wanted to know, what is your feelings on NFTs? How do you feel about that? <laughs> okay, here we go. NFTs. All right, so now we're going into the realm just that I know you know, so now I got to make it more broad for everyone who's listening. Oh, yeah, I understand. So, right, go ahead and explain. Right, here we go. So NFTs. NFTs are another part of this new world that we see in investing in cryptocurrencies, right? So with the NFTs, and there's different applications for it, but at its most basic you can track the ownership of a digital product, right? You can also track ownership to a physical product, but we're going to stay with digital right now. My feelings in general when it comes to NFTs, it's going to be the usability. Like what, 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 how can it actually be useful in the real world? And what are we using to give the evaluation of the NFT? Now, in general, when I talk to any client, when it goes into the world of cryptocurrencies and the way that that works, I say, should it be a part of your portfolio or not? Well, first, we got to take a look and say, are we doing the basic stuff first when it comes to having an investment portfolio? Do you have the traditional asset classes within your overall investment portfolio? If we can check box yes, then this, what I would refer to as an alternative investment class. This is something that is very new and is it's also 
unregulated, but there's a lot of upside. So I normally tell clients, if you have all the other boxes checked on the traditional parts of an inv investment portfolio, and you want to allocate three to maybe 5% of your investment portfolio to this new world of cryptocurrencies, then NFTs, which are even more speculative, then yeah, okay, but we have to limit it and we want to go back to, are you, what are you buying? Are you actually buying a, um, a piece of artwork that is yours or are you, I've, are you buying a, a, a hyperlink? Personally, for the most part, I've been buying uh, a lot of, like, I've been, what I've been doing is buying and selling some, uh, I've been buying and selling some, like, uh, mostly just like simple pixel art NFTs that okay. have other benefits attached to them usually. All right. And it, okay. Like, so the second you said you're buying and selling, you take yourself out of the bucket of investor and you put oh, yourself no, in. Not, yeah. Right. right. Not <laughs> like, I'm not, some of them are, some of them I do keep for investment purposes of mm -hmm. like being like, okay, this will probably go up and I'll just keep that. Right. Like I have some that are like Disney related that I keep. I, I know you. that those are bound to go up. Yeah. So you're, you're more in the world. You're, you're in the world of, of buying and selling. You're almost in the business of buying and selling. So I, I mean, would say just make sure that you limit it to the proper percentage of your yeah. overall investment portfolio where you're not overexposed. That's what I would have to say. Okay. Yeah. That's a, and personally, I don't have much as far as a traditional investment portfolio at all. I mainly just got into the, uh, the, the cryptocurrency, like before I even got into investing at all, yeah. I just really put in like, you know, I think it's mainly just because, it, frankly, it's a little bit more accessible. With yeah. No, no, no. Of money. Trust you know me. I, mean? I, I understand what you're saying. My suggestion to you, contact the CFP in your area. They will help you create a more diversified portfolio, which will be just as easy to access and as tech savvy as I know you enjoy when it comes to cryptocurrencies. But I'm telling you, you need something more diverse oh, yeah. and, and you need a oh, deeper yeah. dive into the oh, uh, traditional I market. With you. Okay, great. Now I'm, I'm going to move on to the next agree. caller, but thank you so much for giving me thank a call. Hopefully I said something that could help you, okay? You've earned traveling. All right, thank you. All right, next caller, if you're on the phone, if you're on the hold, I'm most likely talking to you. You're live on the air with Pocket Watching with JT. How can I help you? Yeah, is it? Yeah, am I the next caller? That's you. How can I help? Uh, yeah, I just wonder, do you want to play CSGO with me? <laughs> do I want to play what? I'm not even sure what that is. What? Counter-Strike Global Offensive, the world's leading first-person shooter game. <laughs> I'm not I'm not that big of a gamer. Uh, I appreciate you <laughs> giving me the, the, the offer, but the last video game I played was Madden Football. So uh, I don't think I'd be that good. What <laughs> system? Oh, man, we're talking about PS2 probably was the last Dude, video, awesome. video game system that I had. But thank you. Thank you for calling up, man. Uh, hopefully, uh, you know, uh, hopefully I can step my gaming uh, lingo and stuff up. But, yeah, it's been a while since I played a real game. But thank you for calling it. All right. All right. So until I get another caller, I'm going to go back to uh, – the people who were actually uh, sending me in information. Last question that I was answering was the difference between the subsidized student loan and the unsubsidized student loan. Okay. I believe that question was coming from, let me get this person's info here. Okay. Yeah. It was Andre. So Andre, listen, 
if you're still listening, hopefully I, I can help you out here. So you want a subsidized loan. Okay, a subsidized loan is the type of loan that the government, the federal government is, you know, backing up and it's not accruing new interest. It's not adding any interest until until you actually graduate. That's the type of loan that you should get. If you have the option between the two, you want a subsidized loan because that unsubsidized loan, the moment they disperse that money into your college account or whatever, while you're going to school and you're doing all the stuff that a college student does, that loan is adding interest to it all the time. So you would prefer to get a subsidized loan rather than a unsubsidized loan. Okay. That's generally how it works. So guys, we're going, you know, we're slowly wrapping this show up. The hour goes by so fast on these money Mondays, but listen, if you want to submit your question to me and you didn't have time, go online, just like all these other people did. you can go to www.pocketwatcher.net click the ask JT button. All I want is your first name. I don't need your social security number, your full government name. Just give me a first name and ask me your question. And I will make sure that, you know, if it's in the queue, I do everything I can to make sure I get you a answer to your question. Also guys, I live stream on YouTube Wednesdays and Fridays. And this show here is also live streaming on YouTube on Mondays. Now, if you have a personal question, if you actually want to sit down with a certified financial planner, you can give me a call. If you're here locally in the St. Louis market or anywhere in the country, and you want to book a consultation with me, you can go to www.pocketwatcher.net or you can give my office a call. My office number is 314-776-776. 314-776-9076. That's 314-776-9076. That is my office number. You would call that number to book an appointment or you can go online. But people, I am more than happy. This is what I do every Monday right here, live on the air. Okay, KSTL Jubilee, 690 AM. Make sure you tell a friend to tell a friend. If you have money questions, I have money answers for you. I'll do everything I can to help give you a recommendation that is going to point you in the right direction to meeting your financial goals. Because here's the here's the sad truth of it. Most people under the sound of my voice, you do not have a retirement plan. Most people under the sound of my voice, you're probably living paycheck to paycheck. The last time you filled up your gas tank, you were making decisions on how much you're going to put in this gas tank, how much you're going to actually put in your refrigerator at home. That is not the type of life that I want for you. The type of life that I want for you is financial freedom, but you're not going to get financial freedom by trying to impress your neighbor by that new car that you want to buy or impress the people who you follow on Instagram or your Facebook friends by buying the expensive purse, bag, shoes, whatever it is. If you want financial freedom, you have to control your consumerism. You need to control your urges to just buy stuff 
that you don't need. And that is what we preach right here on Pocket Watching with JT. Financial freedom is not being a millionaire and swiping a card and buying all the stuff you want. Financial freedom is finding peace inside yourself and you don't need to be a consumer. So thank you so much for listening to Pocket Watching with JT. You can always reach out to me. Go to pocketwatcher.net. That is pocketwatcher.net for all of my content and my information, pocketwatcher.net. Thank you guys so much. I will be back Money Mondays on KSTL Jubilee 690 AM.